Today on Categorical Imperatives, we are going to be talking about how when one police officer kills another police officer, it's your fault. Hey, greetings, and welcome back once again to Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Lockheed and Liberal, and I do want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Now, if you are new to the program, I especially want to welcome you. Uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be discussing legal theory and moral philosophy as it relates to current events in law, politics, and culture. So, what if I told you that when one police officer shoots uh, another and kills another police officer and you happen to be anywhere in the vicinity nearby at all uh, you may well find yourself facing charges for killing an officer i'd say come again and then i'd laugh because i said come but thank god that's not the case huh well you may think that but um unfortunately uh this episode uh, it well, really, this episode started out with what I thought was one single incident of what I am going to be calling blue-on-blue -blue violence. Uh, but I quickly learned that it was much, uh, much more than I uh, had possibly realized. Uh, there is a lot going on, and this is a problem I can't really seem to find anyone else uh, taking much notice of. I can't, I, I can't find any indication of people talking about this or people reporting on this. Uh, so I guess it's my duty to bring people's attention to it. <laughs> duty. All right, let's just jump right into it. Now, in the early morning, uh, in an early morning uh, in May of 2020, a Bonneville County Sheriff's Deputy, Wyatt Mazer, lost his life while responding to a call in Idaho Falls. He and another officer arrived to assist a motorist, a woman named Jenna Holm, after she was in a single car crash on a rural stretch of road. Now, the officers arrived to find Holm in distress, and while attempting to bring her into custody, another officer, driving at high speed, arrived on the scene, hit Deputy Mazer with his patrol vehicle, and Mazer died at the scene, and Holm was charged with manslaughter in connection with his death. Now, where it gets really sad is that's the story I started researching, and I quickly realized that Jenna Holm is not the only person facing charges right now as a result of one officer killing another. So I have a couple other stories here uh, of blue-on-blue -blue violence from across the United States just in the recent past, and just that I could find with a very cursory search. So we have uh, Officer William Wilkins, who died in 2001. Uh, now, he was an Oakland narcotics officer who was shot and killed by two uniformed fellow police officers in February of 2001. While he was uh, in the middle of arresting a man named Demetrius Phillips. Uh, Phillips would go on to testify that the two 
officers at the scene beat him up and then blamed him for the killing. And in an especially disgusting twist, uh, the family of William Wilkins filed a wrongful death suit against the officers who shot him. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed an earlier ruling that the two officers who had shot Officer Wilkins are not protected by qualified immunity, and their actions were a violation of Mr. Wilkins' Fourth Amendment rights, and the city of Oakland settled the lawsuit with the Wilkins family. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not the outcome of the case that I find disgusting. This was the right outcome. Um, but it is amazing how a legal cause of action, such as 42 U.S.C. Section 1983, uh, which is the provision of law that and I've talked about here before a number of times, uh, that creates uh, a, a civil cause of action for a deprivation of civil rights. But that this has... It, it's really completely opt hands to actual civilians whose rights are violated. Uh, it is always rejected out of hand in court before it ever even goes to trial because the officers are, uh, it, they have what is known as qualified immunity, which means that they are not to be responsible for their actions at the time. So apparently the only time uh, an officer is uh, responsible for his actions, uh, at least as far as the courts are concerned, is when the victim is also a police officer, and that is really messed up. Alright, moving on, we have a case from 2009, uh, Officer Omar Edwards, and in May of 2009, New York City Police Detective Omar Edwards was chasing Miguel Gotia, a person suspected of breaking into his car. Another New York police officer, Andrew Dutton, saw Edwards running with a gun, misread the situations, and shot and killed Edwards. Next, 2011, we have uh, Jeffrey Breitkopf, uh, and he was a Nassau County police officer who was killed in March of 2011 by another police officer after being mistaken for a suspect during an incident in Long Island, New York. Breitkopf and many officers were gathered to assist with a person reportedly brandishing a knife in Nassau County neighborhood. And then we have Nicholas Ivey in 2012. Now, this one, wow. Yeah, so two Border Patrol agents split up to track a suspected drug smuggler, uh, and this was in October of 2012, uh, near Bisbee, Arizona, uh, and they never found any suspects, but what they did find was each other, and they ended up in a shootout against each other, unaware that they were firing at their fellow officer, and this led to Nicholas Ivey's death. Next is, uh, I think it's Jackie Colson. I, I probably pronounced that first name wrong. I'm sorry. Jackie Colson, I, I'm going to say. Uh, in 2016, uh, Detective Jackie Colson was uh, killed in March of 2016 in Landover, Maryland, by a fellow officer, Taylor Krause, who mistook him for an active shooter. Now, the, uh, the suspect, the shooter, was wounded, and he and two of his brothers who happened to be with him were charged with second-degree murder. 
Next, we have Brian Simonson in 2019. While he was investigating a robbery in progress in Queens, New York, uh, in February of 2019, Detective Simonson was shot by fellow officers. The officers had flanked the entrance to a T-Mobile store that was being robbed and were inadvertently positioned to shoot each other. And within 11 seconds, 42 shots were fired by seven different officers. Two robbery suspects, Christopher Ransom uh, and Jaeger Freeman, both survived, and they were charged with second-degree murder for the death of Simonson, who was killed at the hands of his fellow police. Next, we have Brian Malkeen, in, also in 2019, uh, and in September 2019, a New York City police officer lost his life to friendly fire uh, in what was described by officers at the scene as a, quote, chaotic situation, unquote. Officer Malkeen and six other New York City police officers chased Antonio Williams for reasons not disclosed to the public. And in approximately uh, 10 seconds, 15 shots were fired by police, killing Antonio Wilson's as well as Officer Brian Malkin. And in 2020, we have uh, Caleb Rule. Now, he was a deputy constable who was shot uh, by a deputy, Chadwick McRae, while investigating a possible home burglary in Missouri City, Texas, in May 2020. Now, both officers were independently investigating a report of a suspicious person uh, with Officer Rule arriving first. And Deputy McRae arrived second and, observing an open door, shot into the house and killed Rule. Then we have Scott Hutton in 2020. Uh, now in Alexander, Arkansas, police officer Scott Hutton was killed by fellow police officer Calvin Nick Saliers after going to Saliers' house in June 2020 while both were off-duty. And, finally, we have Jonathan Shoup, who was killed in 2020. Officer Jonathan Shoup was shot by fellow officer uh, Mustafa Kumkur. I'm probably butchering that last name, too. I'm sorry. I believe Mustafa Kumkur, uh, who was located in the same car as Shoup during a traffic stop in uh, Bothell, Washington, in July of 2020. So Henry Eugene Washington is alleged to have initiated a shootout after being pulled over for a traffic infraction. Washington was charged with aggregated first-degree murder for the death of Jonathan Shoup, even though the bullet that killed him came from his partner. Now, in more than half of these cases, what we find where police were killed by another police officer and the suspect was uh, in most cases, either charged and or convicted of the murder, as is the case with Mazur, Colson, Simonson, and Shoup, or they are officially blamed for the murder in the investigation, such as Malkin. So, in many of these cases, the defining features are chaos at the scene and poor communication between the police officers, disadvantageous arrangement of law enforcement in a scene without clarity on everyone's role, proper communication regarding the location of law enforcement officers, a lack of communication regarding who is and who is not law enforcement officers, 
who is in charge, and so on. Now, most of these police deaths could have been prevented by the police themselves through improved communication and tactics and appropriate use of force. So, police on police, or as I'm calling it, blue on blue, violent encounters uh, seem to be very commonplace across sheriffs and police departments in the U.S. However, there are no known efforts to track them either locally or nationally. In 2010, David Peterson, the then governor of New York, convened a task force to examine police-on-police -police accidental shootings and the task force's final report describes over 300 incidents of non-fatal blue-on-blue violent incidences across the United States. And it observed that while officer-on-officer -officer violent incidents are common, how officers uh, and agencies handle these incidents really creates a, a broad patchwork of different policies. And this is from that uh, New York Task Force report that was commissioned by the governor. This is a quote from it. Quote, because the United States, uniquely in the world, has literally thousands of separate police departments with no government agency able to set standards for them all, the variety of policies and protocols is virtually endless, with enormous, enormous variation in how thoroughly departments train for such encounters if they train at all, end quote. So the task force found that most shootings were accidental slain of a non-uniformed officer that were mistaken for an individual in commission of a crime. The task force uh, findings indicate that black officers were much more likely to be shot and killed under these circumstances, uh, as was the case for officers Colson, Wilkins, and Edwards. Now, two years after Omar Edwards' death, New York City Police instituted more training for interactions between on-duty and off-duty officers. The effectiveness of these trainings in preventing police-on-police -police violence is not yet known. Now, we get to the case that kind of started it all off. Uh, this was an officer, Wyatt Mazur, who was killed uh, when uh, the woman, Jenna Holm, uh, was involved in a one-car crash at approximately 5 a.m. on May 18th of 2020 on a rural road near Idaho Falls, Idaho, and a passing motorist saw her car on its side pulled over and called 911. When the sheriff's deputies arrived, Holm was in the middle of the road holding a machete to her chin. Bonneville Sherry, uh, Sheriff Deputy Brian Botcher arrived first, and he was soon followed by Deputy Wyatt Mazur. Now they spoke with Holm, saying they were there to help, and asking her to put down the machete. Now Botcher had apparently interacted with Holm several days earlier, was familiar with Holm, uh, at, had actually, uh, it sounds like, taken her to an Idaho Falls crisis center. Now, Holmes was screaming, clearly in distress, and uh, probably experiencing something of a mental health crisis. And after 
The sev after several requests were made, she did eventually put down the machete uh, about 20 minutes after their arrival. Then Deputy Botcher tased her, and this did not initially subdue her, but he continued to tase her for several more seconds, and eventually Holm dropped to the ground due to the ongoing tasing. It was at this point that Deputy Mazur stepped into the roadway to bring Holm into custody. Without warning, lights from a Sergeant Randy Flegel's patrol car illuminated the roadway and hit Mazur with his car. Deputy Mazur died at the scene. According to the evidence presented in court, Flegel was driving at over 90 miles an hour into bright lights as he approached the scene. And he had slowed down to 53 miles an hour when he struck Mazur. Now, Holm was taken into custody, and a few days later, the Bonneville County prosecutor charged her with manslaughter for the death of Wyatt Mazur. So now, where does all this stand within the law? Well, Jenna Holm is charged with involuntary manslaughter, uh, which under Idaho Code Section 18-4006 is defined as quote, the unlawful killing of a human being in the perpetration or uh, in the perpetration of or attempt to perpetrate any unlawful act, end quote. At her probable cause hearing, the prosecutor stated that by continuing to be a danger to others and not complying with law enforcement orders, she produced the death of Deputy Wyatt Mazur. Her defense attorney indicated the intent was not to threaten or endanger others or even to disobey orders. She was in emotional distress at the time and she did not feel safe. She was on a dark road. It was a rural road with limited cell phone service, and in addition, it was very dark and it was very noisy, and there was a lot of wind at the time, making it difficult for everyone present to actually ascertain what was going on, and that was true all around, from what I, uh, I can tell. Now, the Bonneville County prosecutor chose not to charge Sergeant Randy Flegel, the person who was driving the vehicle that hit and killed Mazur. Now, it is common for law enforcement and prosecuting attorneys to work closely together, raising questions here, certainly, about the suitability of a prosecutor's office, deciding whether or not to charge an officer within their own jurisdiction. Indeed, Bonneville County Sheriff's Office referred to the Bonneville County Prosecutor's Office as, quote, our partner in a Facebook quote uh, very recently on April 15th, 2021. Now, the defense has stated that Sergeant Flegel acted negligently by approaching a police encounter taking place in a road at such high speeds, especially since it was dark. Most recently, the defense filed a motion to dismiss Holmes' manslaughter charge, arguing that she was not committing an unlawful act when Mazur was killed. Holmes was on the ground and incapacitated at the time when Flegel struck Mazur. Recently, the Bonneville County Sheriff's completed 
an internal investigation into the incident in that report, they identify several factors that may have led to Wyatt Mazur's death. They include no emergency red and blue emergency lights were activated by any law enforcement officers on scene. Uh, Deputy Botcher uh, provided incorrect directions and locations when he relayed the situation to dispatch. And a witness present had a bright vehicular light pointing into oncoming traffic. The report recommends additional training for new recruits focusing on roadside safety and supervisory oversight on compliance. Now, really, uh, kind of frustratingly, uh, the prosecution originally only provided a summary of those findings to Holmes's defense team. They did not release the full internal investigation. And this is despite their obligation to follow what is known as the Brady Rule, which holds that prosecutors must turn over all potentially exculpatory evidence, uh, that is, uh, evidence that supports the defendant uh, and absolves them of the crime. All exculpatory evidence must be turned over to the defense. In a court hearing, the trial judge ruled that the prosecutor must turn over the entire report from the internal investigation to the defense team. Currently, Jenna Holm is facing a maximum of 10 years in prison and $15,000 in fines for manslaughter and a maximum of 5 years in prison and a $5,000 fine for aggravated assault. Now, it's that individual story is really uh, sad, um, but what is, is really... Uh, messed up about this is the emerging pattern that we see here. Uh, what happened to Jenna Holm is shocking. That interaction between her and the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office could easily have ended without this senseless tragedy, if not for the mistake of the sheriff's deputies. Now, as I was researching this piece, I was surprised when I discovered this pattern uh, of pitting blame on civilians for the mistakes of law enforcement. Uh, it, now, what's interesting is, as far as I can tell, uh, and uh, this is not really necessarily my strong suit, this kind of research, so maybe someone else uh, yeah. So, but this is just, this is just what I was able to find myself uh, in, in looking into this is roughly at some point around 2009, I, there seems to be a blueprint that emerges wherein civilians who are originally caught up in a police encounter start to be blamed for police harm regardless of the circumstances or if the original police encounter was even a justified one to begin with. So in New York City, we had uh, Miguel uh, Gautia, uh, who was not held criminally, criminally liable for the death of Omar Edwards in 2009. But after that, the New York City prosecutorial, prosecutorial policies shifted. Uh, and then we have Antonio Williams, who was blamed for the death of Officer Brian Malkin, although both 
died in the same incident that the NYPD initiated despite no criminal wrongdoing on the part of Williams. And Christopher Ransom and uh, Jaeger Freeman are being charged with murder for the death of Brian Simonson. And we see a similar pattern repeated in the cases I mentioned earlier from Ja'Kai Colson to Jonathan Shoup to Wyatt Mazur. Police officers have been held accountable for the death of another officer when there is not another person involved in the encounter, like in the case of uh, two of the people I, I mentioned, Scott Hutton and Caleb Rule, where there, there was no perpetrator, there was no third party there. Um, but for this not to happen is very uncommon. Now, while in the grand scheme of things, these incidents are rare, the pattern is still chilling. I really, could anyone, could any one of us really get caught up uh, in a police murder charge due to the negligence and carelessness of another police officer? Now, Holmes's manslaughter charge started as a one-car traffic accident. She likely needed uh, a tow truck and a mental health professional more than anything else. Instead, she was tased and is now facing charges for actions that occurred at a time when she was entirely incapacitated by the tase. Now, this case also raises questions about the overall integrity of the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Sheriff's deputies erred in their actions that day, resulting in a very tragic outcome. Yet the Sheriff's Office has not publicly acknowledge this to the community that they actually serve. Now, these cases not only upend the lives of civilians, but they fail to bring true justice and accountability for the surviving friends and family of these slain officers. The families of William Wilkins, Ja'Kai Colson, and Jeffrey Breitkopf were clearly not satisfied with the response from law enforcement or the criminal justice system, and hence they all chose to seek redress in the civil court. Now, notably, the case of Jeffrey Breitkopf is different. Uh, the civilian, uh, Anthony uh, DiGeronimo, was not blamed for Breitkopf's death, but the Nassau prosecutor also did not charge Officer John Caffarella despite the evidence that his actions uh, created the situation that led directly to Ray Cop's death. Now, I think it is important that law enforcement publicly take responsibility for their mistakes, particularly when those mistakes lead to tragedies so that existing harm can be addressed and in the future prevented. Clearly, errors were made by the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office during the events of May 18, 2020, and while the recommendations from the internal investigation, such as training on roadside safety for new recruits, are certainly a good step, the continued attempt to prosecute Jenna Holm completely undermine any other reform. The message is that roadside safety protocols sort of matter, 
unless there's someone else to blame. Additionally, this recommended training really may not prevent another incident that resulted from Mazur's death if it is not required for current officers, but as they are talking about, only for new incoming officers in the future. Now, one interesting little bit I found was that uh, in the Idaho State Constitution, uh, as well as in their state code, Section 31-2202, they have identical language uh, that says the county sheriff's offices have a deep responsibility to the communities they serve. Their ability to fulfill this relies on public trust and respect and transparency these are two core ingredients that maintain that trust, end quote. So I hope that the Bonneville County Prosecutor will take this to heart and reconsider what is to be gained by prosecuting Jenna Holm for Wyatt Mazur's death. Well, that is going to do it for me here today on Categorical Imperatives. I want to thank you all uh, so much for joining me. Uh, there, If you want to support the show, uh, there are links down uh, in the description where you can go do that. There's a few places to do that. Um, and if you're not in a place to support the show right now, that's fine. I still really do always appreciate you coming out and spending some of your time here with me today on Categorical Imperatives. Uh, if you like the show, you can always hit that old thumbs up button there. If you dislike the show, you can hit the uh, thumbs down button. I guess that's what it's there for, but I'm sure nobody disliked this. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, but leave me a comment. I always really do love to know uh, what you guys think about uh, my videos uh, or I guess now my audio. I, I'm now posting everything, if you didn't know, over on anchor.fm. So I have an audio-only podcast, uh, a version of this podcast over there. Uh, so if you're someone who likes to listen to a podcast without necessarily watching it, uh, you should go uh, maybe check that out. Uh, there's links down in the description. Or if you're listening to this over on Anchor and you want to see the full video version of what I'm doing, uh, then you can uh, go over to either YouTube or Odyssey and you'll find links to those in my uh, Anchor.fm profile. And uh, yeah, either way. Uh, that's all I really got for you guys. So thank you so much for joining me here today on Categorical Imperatives. Uh, this has been me, Locking Liberal, talking with you all about blue on blue violence. And of course, as always, Delenda S. Cathago. Freddy